welcome back. I'm Kirby. And I'm Cassandra. And we're too good to be true. And I have yet another two-parter because I can't stop myself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really didn't intend for this to be a two-parter. I honestly didn't intend for any any of them to be two-parters, but there's just so much, so many layers. There's yeah. so much going on. It's so crazy and I I mean even when I have I've left out some details and it's still it's still going to be two episodes because one 45 minute episode wasn't going to do this justice not even wasn't even an hour or an hour and a half episode was going to do it it's going to take multiple episodes and to keep it from just ending up being like a four hour episode right and sometimes you don't know that until you're in it you're out and it does a lot but anyway, this week and next week, I'm going to be covering Larry Ray and the sex cult of Sarah Lawrence. But before I get into it, I am going to talk about a current event that some of you may or may not have heard about. The young lady by the name of Carly Russell. Oh, yeah. So Carly is a 25-year-old nursing student from Alabama who just very recently went missing. On July 13th, she was headed home after getting out of school and grabbing dinner when she called 911 to report a lost child in a diaper she saw walking alongside I-495 in Hoover, Alabama, just south of Birmingham. After she got off the phone with the 911 operator, she called a family member who said they heard her scream and then the line just kind of had dead air. Like, the line was still open, they were still connected, but nothing was going on. It was like nothing. Right. So the family called 911, and within a few minutes, police were there. I want to say they were there within three minutes or something. It was a, it was a fast response. Fast. The police located her wig and phone on the side of the road, and her abandoned vehicle had her purse with her Apple Watch still inside it. Then, on July 15th at about 10.45 p.m., so about 49 hours later, Carly reappeared, walking back into her parents' home, claiming that she'd been kidnapped. Carly claims that a man with orange hair and a bald spot, Donald Trump? (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Anyway, this man came out mumbling about the child and said he was checking on it, and then he ended up grabbing her. She said that the man forced her over a fence and into a car and kept her in the back of an 18-wheeler. She said there was also the baby, of course, and a woman who she never actually saw, but the woman did play with her hair, and the couple fed her cheese cracker snacks. She said the couple took her to a home and took nude photos of her, and $63,000 and some change was collected by Crime Stoppers of Central Alabama. So here's where her story starts to fall apart. The traffic camera footage was pulled, off of I-495, and it wasn't just random old traffic camera. It was, you could see Carly's actual car. Like, this was footage of her. There was no child. And I heard the 911 call. It was played, and she did tell the operator, there's a child on the side of the road. It's a toddler, probably like three or four years old. It's a white boy. All he has on is a t-shirt and a diaper. But they see no such child on this traffic camera. The police also obtained ring doorbell camera footage from her neighborhood. And Carly appears to be walking very casually until she gets close to her parents' house where she begins to act more frantic. She's 
crying and her arms are flailing, but she doesn't bother to do any of this until she knows she's within sight of her parents' house. Her phone was tracked while she was on the initial 911 call about the kid, and in the time that she was on the phone, she traveled roughly 600 yards. That's six football field lengths. So for me, it's hard to believe that a three- or four-year-old toddler in nothing but a t-shirt and a diaper and no shoes could make it that distance that quickly and that no one else saw him. For sure. I mean, what is this kid, The Flash? <laughs> How did he make it that quickly? It's very unrealistic, yeah. When her phone was searched, there were also Google searches regarding Amber Alerts, asking if it costs anything to have an Amber Alert. To, like, report something. If there's an age limit to Amber Alerts. She had also searched the movie Taken. She had searched robbing a cash drawer and a one-way bus ticket from Birmingham to Nashville. There are some unproven rumors circulating. One I heard was that she had access to her Instagram account and unblocked her boyfriend while she was kidnapped. I don't know if that's true or not. Right. But they did, like I said, find her phone on the side of the road. So it's just kind of suspicious that she would have been able to unblock somebody on Instagram. That would lead me to believe she was somewhere with Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. But again, this is unverified. So there's also an Instagram DM or direct message circulating. It's claiming to be a stripper that this boyfriend cheated on her with. And Carly was arguing with the girl, telling her, basically, you ain't shit. I'm rich, you're poor, you know, kind of stuff. And there was another text, again, unproven, that said Carly had planned to disappear because she had failed out of nursing school and was on drugs and had lost her job. Her job. Thing. Yeah, I heard. But she didn't lose her job, so I don't. And again, this stuff is just speculation, and I'm not going to say I believe it or not, because it's not proven. The police department hasn't disclosed if they will speak with Carly again or if charges will be filed if she is found to be lying, but the investigation is still ongoing. On July 21st, Carly was actually fired from her job at Woodhouse Spa in Birmingham, which was verified by the business's owner, Stuart Rowe. There are some reports that her boyfriend has wiped all traces of her from his social media, but again, that's just hearsay. I don't know, and I didn't check. It has, though, been confirmed that Carly took a bathrobe, some toilet paper, and some other items from her job before leaving. She also purchased Cheez-Its and granola bars at Target before going missing, which also kind of rings a little alarm bell because she said they fed her cheese crackers. Ooh. Her ex-coworkers are obviously upset since they believe she was really missing and they were emotionally invested in her return, printing missing person flyers and distributing them. And there is also a post on Reddit from someone claiming to be an employee of the spa stating that she stole from their tip jar and that the business was getting negative reviews and harassment regarding Carly. She wanted to point out that the business was also victimized by her and to please stop harassing them. And this, again, I cannot confirm if this person is really an employee, though, because Reddit is an anonymous site. Yeah, it's, you really can't. Without obtaining IP addresses and everything, you can't de determine who's behind an account. So it's, take it with a grain of salt. So right now, investigation is ongoing. I don't know anything else. She may or may not be charged. I guess the truth will come out. I guess we'll see. Yeah, so I don't want to say anyway, either way. She's lying. She wasn't lying. She was kidnapped. She wasn't kidnapped. 
because I don't know and I'm not going to speculate. So I'm just going to keep an eye on it. And, you know, if it blows up and becomes a whole big thing later on, there may be a full episode on it. And if it just kind of fizzles out or they don't press charges or they never get to the bottom of it, then whatever. Right. But I figured I'd bring it up because it is kind of wild. It's interesting. Yeah, it's it. It was giving me Sherry Papini, Papini vibes right from the beginning. And so I've been following it and it very well could end up becoming a fraud thing. Yeah, it could be very similar to that. Yeah. So we'll see. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and jump into my topic, which again is Larry Ray and his sex cult of Sarah Lawrence College. Lawrence Greco was born in the Bay Ridge area of Brooklyn, New York, in 1959. He eventually ended up taking his stepfather's name, Ray, which is how he ends up becoming Larry Ray instead of Lawrence Greco. Despite never obtaining a college degree, he traded stocks on Wall Street in the 1980s. He also worked as a consultant in other industries, including gambling, construction, and insurance. He did briefly, and I mean very briefly, join the military. In fact, he served for just 19 days in the U.S. Air Force. It's an odd number. Yes, something happens. You can't usually get in and out of the military in 19 days, but I don't know what occurred. Even though he wasn't in for long, he did still maintain connections with important military officials, including Marine General Charles Pittman and retired Marine Commandant General James Jones. He claims to have worked for the CIA as well, but there's no evidence to support that claim. Larry married his wife, Teresa, in 1988, and in 1989, their daughter, Talia Lauren Ray, was born. Also in the 80s, Ray owned and operated bars and nightclubs in New Jersey. He had one in Scotch Plains called Club Malibu and J.J. Rockers. During this time, he met politicians from both New York and New Jersey, including Bernard Carrick, in 1995. They would work out and ride motorcycles together, and he was even the best man at Carrick's wedding and had helped pay for it in 1998. In 2000, Carrick became the New York City Police Commissioner. In 1999, Larry met Frank Vitamasso, of the Interstate Industrial Corporation through Carrick. And then he began working as a security consultant there. Dita Vosso also hired Carrick's brother to work for a related company called Interstate Materials. At the time, Carrick lived in a Bronx apartment and Dita Vosso gave him $165,000 in illegal free renovations. That's a fan. <laughs> no, and, it, and I know people like that. And this isn't all just random bullshit that I'm bringing up from this man's past. This Carrick guy plays a pretty important role in this indirectly. Like, he himself does nothing. But <laughs> it, he's a recurrent thing. So this scandal caused Carrick to withdraw his nomination as the Secretary of Homeland Security in 2004. Leary cooperated in the investigation into Carrick and DiDomaso. In 2006, Carrick pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges of accepting illegal gifts and failing to report a loan, and three years later, in 2009, he pled guilty to federal tax fraud 
and making false statements to officials, but he was later pardoned by then-President Donald Trump. In 2012, Larry testified against DiMasso in a perjury trial, who then beat him so badly he had neurological damage and a skull fracture. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice guy. Got the shit kicked out of him. The charge was dropped to a misdemeanor, and Dita Massa pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct. And in 2017, he was sentenced to one day of anger management. One day? <laughs> one day. That's really not going to do shit. I, I don't think it's just magically going to help him be better. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the thought process behind that. In a series of events leading to his conviction, Carrick facilitated an introduction between Larry and FBI agent Gary Uher. Larry, claiming to be an informant, offered to assist Uher in uncovering a pump-and-dump scheme associated with Eddie Garofalo, a high-ranking member of the Gambino crime family. I was going to say I've heard of that name before. Okay. Uher met with with uh, Larry multiple times per week, and due to concerns over potential harm from the mafia, the FBI installed a $10,000 security system in Larry's residence. Contrary to his supposed role as an informant, Larry allegedly sought to conceal his own involvement in the same fraudulent scheme. So he's telling this guy, I'm going to be an informant, but he's actually part of it. And the Yeah, I... You know, I honestly cannot tell you why Larry does any of the things that he does. He's just in his own Larry land. And dealing like, I want to tell you about this, but I was also involved in this. Right. Well, alongside 18 other individuals, he faced charges of securities fraud after attempting to bribe Garofalo with $100,000. And in 2003, Larry received a five-year probation sentence. He asserted his significance in shaping foreign policy matters with court records obtained by the publication. Um, I want to say it was New York Magazine revealing a letter from NATO acknowledging his contributions towards fostering effective communication and understanding between NATO and Russian leadership, particularly in relation to resolving the Kosovo bombing. He was telling everybody that he like facilitated this whole thing and like basically solved the problem. But Chris Donnelly, the NATO official responsible for drafting the letter, completely minimized his involvement role in it. He, he stated, I remember him being around. He was connected, and they may have made some calls for us, as many other people did at the time. I wrote a letter for anyone who was involved. <laughs> so um, this guy just he read it. He just did a general thank you for helping this out letter to anybody who facilitated any type of help at all. And then this guy was like, nope, this is my personal letter specifically because I single-handedly solved this problem. Yeah. Larry then developed a friendship with Pavel, I might butcher this, Pavel Poloshenko who was the interpreter for Soviet Union leader Mikhail Gorbachev. So I, I know we've all heard of Gorbachev. The other guy. I, I can't find a pronunciation for his name. So it I sounded right. I made it. Larry claimed that he facilitated a meeting between then New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Gorbachev in December 1997, stating that Carrick had requested the gathering. He also introduced Gorbachev to Robert De Niro, 
while in Los Angeles? Robert De Niro claims that did happen, but he didn't understand why Larry was the guy to introduce it to. He was like, who's that dude? Ooh, or why? Who that? <laughs> <laughs> In 2004, Larry's wife, Teresa, initiated divorce proceedings and contacted the police, alleging that he had physically assaulted her. When the authorities arrived, Larry and the daughter, Talia, accused Teresa of mistreating the children, resulting in Larry being granted temporary custody of their daughters. Allegedly, the local police department received numerous anonymous reports accusing Teresa's relatives of abusing the girls. Larry was also, also said to have written blog posts describing instances of abuse, some of which purported to be authored by Talia, which I don't know, maybe. Who knows? However, investigations by the authorities found no evidence supporting the claims of abuse against Teresa or her family. Additionally, a forensic examiner determined that Larry had coached his daughters to make false accusations against their mother. How nice of him. Yeah. The examiner asked their four-year-old daughter, Ava, if Teresa had hit her, and she just laughed and said, that's what daddy tells me to say. <laughs> Kids are something else. Um, Ava's not having any of this. She is like, nope. But as early as just eight years old, Larry was already brainwashing Talia into making these accusations, and he had also convinced her that there was poison in the walls and attic of their home. Poison also becomes a recurring theme here. It's a big deal. Don't know what his fascination is with poison, but just wait. Poison in the walls. Sounds like a Lifetime movie. Sounds like a Lifetime movie. Poison. Wall. Yeah. It does kind of, yeah. Starring Delta Burke. <laughs> yeah, she's in everything. <laughs> so the custody battle over their daughters continued for several years. In 2005, Larry faced charges of interference with child custody, bail jumping, and contempt of court when he refused to hand over his daughters to the maternal aunt for a Thanksgiving visit. In 2010, he pleaded guilty to these charges and was sentenced to six months in jail. As for Talia, she chose to reside in these shelters instead of living with her mother. I won't be going over Ava anymore because she has no part in this and she deserves her privacy. So we'll just go with Talia because she does become a big part of this. In 2006, Larry was taken into custody yet again following a call to the police made by his girlfriend who accused him of confining her within their apartment. She alleged that he had restrained her, covering her mouth and nose, resulting in breathing difficulties. However, the case was ultimately dismissed as his girlfriend chose not to pursue charges. Larry contended that his arrest for domestic violence, the entire custody battle, and the securities fraud cases were part of an extensive conspiracy, conspiracy linked to Carrick. I'm going to say, she's going to say carrot. Yeah, <laughs> carrot. Whatever reason, he thinks carrot has got it out for him. That's his fall guy, I guess. At different instances, Larry claimed that carrot sought retribution for his cooperation in corruption investigations against him. On other occasions, he alleged that former President George W. Bush, former Vice President Dick Cheney, and Giuliani aimed to silence him due to his alleged knowledge regarding the September 11th terrorist attacks. 
What knowledge is he claiming he had? You know what? I don't know. And I don't, I don't want to know. Because whatever it is, it's all bullshit. <laughs> he made it up. Probably. This domestic violence incident with the girlfriend was considered a violation of his probation, which led to his arrest in 2007, during which his daughter Talia was reportedly present in the same ring. He attributed his legal predicaments to police corruption at the time. Larry was diagnosed with histrionic and narcissistic personality disorders. I think it's histrionic. Not familiar with it, but... His defense team said that he has characteristics that are strongly suggestive of pseudologia fantastici or Munchausen's. Another Munchausen's. Oh, great. A psychological examiner from his custody battle with Teresa noted that he, and this is a direct quote, is able to manipulate and control almost any situation in which he finds himself, including a psychological interview with a forensic examiner, no matter how experienced that examiner may be. Mr. Ray is very good at what he does. Lawrence can be utterly charming, and one can be disarmed by his childlike simplicity and smile. But Mr. Ray is no child. He is a calculating, manipulative, and hostile man. So, yeah. He sounds great. We're going to move on now. To the fall of 2009, where Talia started as a freshman at Sarah Lourdes College in Yonkers, New York. Oh my god. So, like, I see where we're going here. <laughs> his daughter had gone to this school, and that's like his inn. Yes. Jesus Christ, this man. Yeah. Tust waned. Can't wait. In her sophomore year in 2010, she and seven friends moved into Slonum Woods, which is a Tudor-style mansion on campus used for student housing. Altogether, friends Talia, Max, Dan, Gabe, Claudia, Juliana, Santos, and Isabella moved into Slonum Woods. Another friend, Raven, wasn't officially a tenant, but was more or less living there. It's like there all the time. They called themselves the Slonum Nine. Santos had met Ta Talia in a Roman literature class and asked her to grab lunch. They quickly became a couple, and Talia was Santos's first girlfriend. Talia wanted to be a lawyer to help people like her father. She talked about her father as if he was a hero. She said he was involved in special military operations and that he was practically James Bond. Well, he really had this child of his under his thumb. Yeah, she claimed that he was unfairly imprisoned. Finally, Talia said her dad was getting out of jail. The roommates agreed that Larry could crash on their couch that's, since he didn't have anywhere else to go. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that was the worst thing. And I'm sure if any of them had known where this was going, they would have said no. Juliana said he just looked like a dad. He talked for hours and everyone's focus was on him. He talked about being in the Marines and his time in the CIA. He also talked about his time with NATO and showed them the letter. Oh, because he without Emporium. With the letter out to show them <laughs> what he did. Oh, Lord. Larry talked about Bernie Carrick 
and said that there was corrupt law enforcement out to get him. He claimed that they were the ones that got him put in jail, but now that he was out, he could pick up the pieces of his life and fight the good fight. Okay. <laughs> Gradually, Larry was at the house more and more until he was staying there four out of seven days of the week. The roommates initially thought the situation was weird, but they didn't really want to say anything because Larry acted like it was totally normal. And he was doing things for them. He was cooking and cleaning up the kitchen and buying food for the roommates. You know, you're a college kid living off of ramen and stuff, and you got some guy moving in that's going to cook you steaks. I mean, I mean, it seems like a good deal, I guess, at the time. Larry also exuded a sense of authority, and the roommates felt like they could talk to him about their problems. Larry began calling house meetings. In the house meetings... He unveiled his own philosophy called Quest for Potential, or Q4P. They'd be like, bitch, you just moved in here. How are you in charge of everyone now? He just swooped right in and did it. He said that the roommates had a true self that was held back. He wanted them to get rid of all the mess in their minds and gain clarity. He could get repressed memories and trauma out and resolve them. He said if they went through this process, they would be healed. Like, show me your fucking certification or whatever. You're not a fucking psychologist. Nope. You just all bought it, though. A blind and syndrome. <laughs> so, Isabella was the first roommate that Larry started helping. She was <laughs> sure. Yeah. Helping. helping. She was Talia's best friend and was very introverted. She had moved from Texas and she didn't really know anyone else. And before long, Larry began staying in her room overnight, but they claimed to have just been talking all night. Sure, yeah. Cindy, Isabella's mother, said that initially Larry seemed like a good man. But right before Christmas break, Isabella called and told Cindy she wasn't coming home for break, and she put Larry on the phone. He told Cindy that Isabella was molested when she was younger, and if she went back to San Antonio, she would have killed herself. This is the first time Cindy had ever heard anything about this. She said Larry was very convincing, and she believed he was just trying to help her daughter. All of a sudden, Isabella changed and became social, outgoing, and happy. So, so on the outside, it's going to look to people right. that he is helping. Is helping. Now, Santos, the other one of the other roommates, he wanted to talk to Larry about his family situation. His mother, Maritza, worked seven days a week, and his father, Santos Sr., was always out, and Santos kind of just assumed he was cheating on his mother. He felt like he didn't get the attention he needed from his parents. Larry told him to avoid unpleasant things and focus on pleasant things. Okay, easier said than done, Larry. But apparently not at this point, because Santos felt like this was helpful advice and like he had achieved clarity. He idolized Larry and wanted to be like him. Raven, the one that wasn't really officially living there, and Claudia, another roommate, were very close. And when Larry first showed up, they would joke about how weird he was. However, after a while, Larry started to engage Claudia in conversations. Larry convinced her that she had schizophrenia. She started to tell Raven stuff that she had never heard her say before, 
And Raven noticed how, one by one, the roommates would go from thinking Larry was weird to not so bad to saying he's saving their lives and he's the best thing that ever happened to them. Right. Okay. Raven and Dan, another roommate, were a couple, but the relationship was rocky. So, Santos suggested that Dan talk to Larry. Dan and Larry met for coffee in New York City and talked about his concerns. Larry told Dan that he's exceptionally intelligent and asked why he felt so insecure. Dan told him he was confused about his sexuality and thought maybe he was gay. Larry said he knew for sure that he isn't gay and to stop worrying, and Dan felt like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders because he no longer had to figure things out. Um, yeah, because this guy just knows everything. Yeah, Larry was going to do it for him. He knows everything about everybody. He's got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Larry also said Raven was in Dan's way. Raven was upset about Dan following Larry, and they broke up. I knew that was coming. Yep. When he rounded a corner, he saw, like, after the breakup, and uh, I feel like this was, I think this was after coffee. Maybe uh, he came around a corner. He saw Talia Santos, Claudia, and Isabella sitting in an idling limo. And he realized that they had been there for this entire six hours that he was with Larry. They were just sitting outside? In a limo. Just chilling in a limo for six hours. First of all, he sat at a coffee shop with Larry for six hours talking about all this. And I don't know if he puts... That's a long amount of time to be sitting there talking to him. But also, that's a long amount of time for those people to be just outside. Yeah, I don't know if he broke up with Raven, like, right then and there. So, I don't know if that happened, like before the limo or if it was a separate day yeah. right but ultimately this ended up with him and raven breaking up but there was also just these people sitting in a limo outside that's so weird yeah well dan didn't think so he just got in the limo yeah that summer larry offered for dan to stay in his apartment in new york city the apartment was on the 15th floor in a building on the upper east side i want to say it was on east 93rd street in Manhattan. The apartment actually belonged to Larry's friend, Lee Chen, who allowed him to crash on his couch after he was released from prison. Chen traveled a lot for work, so he wasn't around much, and it wasn't too long until Larry made the place his own and moved from the couch to the bedroom. Chen started spending less and less time in his apartment to stay away from Larry, and he had asked Larry why he was wasting all of his time with these college students, and Larry said to him, you and I can only do so much, but I'm building an army. Right? That's fucking crazy. Yeah, that, that's just... Normally, people don't say shit like that. Yeah, and this man just, like, avoided his own homage. Because that's how weird this guy was. He's yeah. like, you know what? I'm good. I'm gonna stay away. <laughs> yeah. So then Larry goes ahead and also offers for Santos to come to the apartment. And he was going to help paint it for Talia. Now, remember, Santos and Talia were dating. Mm -hmm. Santos wanted to spend time with his friends and his girlfriend, so he went. Larry came over to Santos's family home and had dinner with him and his parents. His parents were impressed because he seemed to know everything about every subject they discussed. Or he was making shit up. Sure, they didn't know. Right. 
Claudia also began to spend time at the apartment. So at this point, Larry, Talia, Isabella, Dan, Santos, and Claudia were all living in a one-bedroom apartment. They're basically taking over this other guy's apartment. Yeah, there's that many people living in a one-bedroom. In a one-bedroom. That's insane. So everyone else was in the living room, but Larry and Isabella were in the bedroom. Excuse me, what? Larry said that this was because Isabella needed the most help. Sure. I'm sure that's it. Go with that one. Larry told the roommates that they all needed to get their shit together and be their best selves. He had a playlist that he played every morning as if they were at boot camp. They got up every morning at 7 o'clock and did five sets of 20 push-ups. The number of push-ups increased weekly until they were doing 400 push-ups. So these kids are, you know, whatever he said. Yeah, these college kids are just listening to every single word that comes out of his mouth, listening to everything they say that he says to do. Larry encouraged them to embrace their masculinity or femininity. Claudia began to wear more makeup. Dan shaved his head and wore brightly colored polos because that was Larry's idea of masculinity. Oh, okay. Being bright and wearing polos, I don't get it, but hey, I'm not Larry, so... Larry began to press his viewpoint that everyone is very sexual, but we are all living in a very puritanical society. He framed everything around building sexual confidence. Larry asked Dan if he found Isabella attractive, and he said yes. Then one night, everyone else was gone, and Isabella came out from the bedroom while Dan was asleep on the couch. The two then hooked up, but Dan felt as if she had been sent out by Larry. Larry, because she probably was. Yeah. Larry then basically started a sex ed class for Dan, utilizing Isabella. So they're just using this young lady mm-hmm. to just learn things about sex. Right. It gets weirder. Larry played 13th century Gregorian chants during sexual activity and prompted them to do certain things. It evolved into both Larry and Dan having sex with Isabella, including threesomes. Wow. Right. Like, it, so simultaneously, I was, like, when you started to say, I was like, together or separate or okay, and then you said threesomes, and I was like, okay, so both. Yeah. So, great. The roommates all would go to school during the day and Larry's apartment at night. Eventually, Santos introduced his sister, Yalitza, to Larry. Oh, my God. This is basically the center, like, this whole family kind of gets sucked into it. And while all of this is terrible and awful and everything, the when I texted you that I was just straight up bawling, it's, it's Santos and his sisters. Like, there's just something about it that just, like, you'll find out. Okay. It's just, all like I said, all of it's awful, but... Something about the sisters that just really pulled at me, and I was like, uh, "This is this is just." I had to take like several breaks <laughs> from reading and watching information about it. I can imagine. Yeah, Yelitsa attended Columbia, but she didn't have any friends, so she enjoyed the atmosphere at the apartment. Gabe, one of the original roommates that didn't fall into Larryville would invite the others to hang out, but they always said they were busy. 
Max, also one that didn't get sucked in, went to the apartment once and was very uncomfortable. He didn't realize that all of his friends were living there, and he didn't understand why they would choose that over being on campus. He said there were jokes made about the living arrangement. And Raven was suspicious, but she couldn't see what Larry was getting out of the arrangement, and that bothered her. She was like, what the fuck is he getting out of this? Yeah, like, what's going what, on here? What's this doing for him? Mm-hmm. And it just always nagged at her. So is she going to do her own investigation? I get to help. Yeah. <laughs> the apartment was very cramped, of course, because there's a million people living in a one bedroom. And Larry tasked the roommates with figuring out how to make everything fit. He kept saying he knew how everything was going to fit perfectly, but he was waiting for them to figure it out. And he just drew Larry. Sure. He began giving them Adderall to keep them awake. He said when they were exhausted, they were more raw and open, and that made it possible for him to help them advance. So now he's drugging them? So what he's doing, uh, I mean, at the, at the very end of everything, so next episode I'm going to go over different stuff regarding human trafficking and whatnot. All right. But I will say that the reason that he went after these kids, and you remember when I did the Brethren? Yes how they were starting to do stuff with college campuses, and they even had, like, one message written on, like, a mattress and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason that they were going to college they jump after these. It's these college kids are trying to find their place. They're trying to find who they are in this world, and he has convinced them that this is for them. Several of them were depressed or introverted or had anxiety. Isabella had recently gone through like a crushing breakup right before Larry came into the picture. So Dan is questioning his sexuality. So these kids are all very vulnerable. They're all very vulnerable. And he knows that. He's fully aware of that. Yeah, you can tell. Like he's like just got his claws in them. Right. And he are open to just anything because they're young and they're trying to figure out their place in the world right they just want to figure everything out and they think that he has all the answers right and one tactic that's employed by call leaders is keeping you exhausted because you're not in your right mind when you're tired when you're yeah because i've heard that like narcissists will do that too yes yes they deprive you of like sleep Mm mm-hmm there was this set of pans that ended up getting damaged, like, mildly so. Just some scratches. Larry would interrogate the roommates about the damage. The roommates would believe him if he said they did something, even if they didn't remember doing it. Okay. Larry picked up woodworking as a hobby and started bringing a lot of tools into the apartment, including a thousand-pound bandsaw. Which, I mean, there was already no shit in this apartment. Like, where did they room for that? Right. Then he started accusing Santos of damaging things. Santos didn't know what was true or not at that point. Everyone else would be sitting around while Larry interrogated Santos and they would join in. Santos would then admit to damaging things he didn't damage. He eventually put together a list of everything that he could have possibly damaged in the apartment and gave it to Larry. Larry demanded that Santos pay him for everything he damaged. So Santos began asking his parents for money. This is like a whole new level of manipulation. Like, that's 
wild. He's going to start to believe that he did things he didn't actually do. Yeah, he had them all doing this. Oh, my God. So Santos is another at the time, was wearing a necklace and a few other little things. And so she took her jewelry to a pawn shop and sold it for $750. Larry continued to pressure Santos, so he went ahead and asked Juliana, one of the original roommates that didn't get sucked into this, for $5,000, and she refused because she suspected it was for Larry. He also, I guess, Gabe for up to $25,000 as a loan, and Gabe didn't have it, so Santos never spoke to him again. He was just like, okay, well. Okay, well, you're not abused to me, so helping me, so. Raven told many people on campus that she suspected something fucked up was going on in Larry's apartment. You are correct, Raven. Smart girl. And... Claudia, I believe it was Claudia's parents, had even complained to the dean of Sarah Lawrence about Larry being in this apartment. And they basically said, like, our hands are tied and there's nothing we can do. He has a right to visit his daughter. Because, like, that's how Talia and him were framing it to them at the time that he was just visiting. And, yeah, he was staying there, but it's because he was visiting from out of town or something like that. So they just never did anything about it. Claudia and Dan had spent the next semester studying abroad in England. But before she left, Claudia sent an email entitled The Truth to the Dean of Students and CC'd everyone, I think the entire like class school? Not not like their class. Yeah, at least their class. It was definitely everybody that lived in the house originally. Yeah. And I feel like a couple of them said that it was like their entire it was either their entire class or like everybody that was at like Slomo, that area. Right. And she uh it said that she had lied and slandered Larry and she was apologizing and taking those things back. And no one at the school reached out to the roommates following this email. None at all. Wow, that's kind of crazy because you would think like that would be like a sign that something weird is going on. Like, right, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then I was also at one point while, you know, they were in England doing their semester abroad, Dan and Claudia met up to Skype with Larry in a meeting and he coached them through sex. Like, and this crusty old man, yeah, man is just watching these colony students have sex people. and, like, coaching them. Yeah. But whenever Gabe reached out to Claudia after the email, she said she's fine. She told him that Larry Ray is the only reason she was alive. This is just something else. And this is the first time... Max began to describe the situation as a cult. This is the first time Max was like, you know what? Y'all are in a cult. Something is wrong here. Yeah. And that is where I'm going to stop this episode. And we'll pick up next week with it just getting worse and worse. More people come into play. More people meet Larry. More people become 
roommates and get involved. And Larry does some truly heinous shit. And we'll just keep in mind that all of these people are victims. It does sound kind of insane. Some of the stuff that they're, you know, believing, some of the stuff that they're falling for. But Larry knew what he was doing. Yeah, that it's, to me, it's clear they're victims because yeah. he just had a way with people, as these people often do, and he just took over and has them doing whatever the hell he wants them to do. Right, yeah. So I just wanted to give that reminder because I know some of this stuff is just truly unbelievable and some people might laugh and some people might be like, I can't believe these kids are this stupid or this coolest, but I mean, we had them completely worn down they're exhausted they're afraid he's gaslighting them they don't know what's true and what's not they can't clearly they're not stupid they were going to sarah lauren brian the other was going to columbia right right like they just they can't even trust their own memories or thoughts at this point in time he's got them so messed up and it just spirals even more and like i said we'll get into that in the next episode but uh, I do have some resources that I'm going to be putting in the show notes, as I often do when we're discussing some heavier material. So there's information on human trafficking, how to spot it, how to see like what they're looking for, how to report it if you do see it. Um, I have a link to Polaris Project, which they are the people that run the human trafficking hotline. So they're, they've got a lot of good information on what to look out for. They do some myth-busting. You know, about the stupid shit like the fentanyl on dollars and the stuff like Carly about strollers and kids on the side of the road and whatnot. Yeah, that's just completely false. So they go over that. So if you're interested, you can check out some of those resources. And as always, if it seems too good to be true, it is. And if you want to find us on our socials, I am no longer listing them all for you. There is a link in our show notes. It just says all of our links in one place or something like that. You want to find us? There's yeah, tons of ways. It's a it's a tap link link. It's legit. It's not phishing or anything. So if you click it, it will take you to all of our socials: Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, and you can join us on any or all of those. And if you'd like to email us, that's also in the show notes. It's too good to be true pod at outlook.com. And you can also leave us a voice message if you would or monetarily support us. And we will be back next week with more Larry Rick. Thanks, someone. <laughs> but not really. Bye. Bye. You want to be on the show? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. She woke me up this morning twice. Finally, 
this one is in the bathroom not bothering me and I'm thinking I'm gonna have some peace and she woke me up biting my hand twice Jeez. and she also likes to like just touch you in like your neck mm -hmm. like she'll lay on the pillow next to me and I'll just feel like a little hand just slide in and just touch my neck and it's just it's weird. It's just a weird feeling. It's just a weird feeling. What are you going to do when we're hiking in Tennessee? You're just going to be like living your best life, napping all day. True. <laughs> Unless I get a second backpack. We take them both we take one them day. Both. Could you imagine? <laughs> I would have to carry this one because she's a the heavier like, one. It's a big I'm like ninety nine percent sure people think that we're a lesbian couple walking our cat. Oh my god! I was thinking, literally, <laughs> when we were when we were coming back from our hike last time, I was like, I'm sure that's what those people thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, you know what? I don't care. Think it's whatever fine. you want. It's friend. fine. Think whatever you want, friend. Okay, we're in love, and we like to take our child we on hikes. Our little baby, we'll have some <laughs>